Hebrews 4 says, the word of God is alive, penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. Our Father, by Valley Heights, and uh, you're coming up the Great Western Highway, and you've just kind of managed to calm the farm before you go past the speed camera. If you turn left under the railway bridge and head up to Russell Avenue, uh, and then turn down Russell Avenue, almost from the time that you turn down the street. And I just think that's a wonderful picture of what we want our church to do, the storms of life, in order that they might be vital and living and fruitful in all that they do. It's the picture that Psalm 1 gives us of the person who is truly blessed. Psalm 1, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his Lord day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. That's why that tree went so crazy. There's a stream underneath the road that it's tapped its roots into. It yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, prosper. Psalm 1, it's a wonderful picture, isn't it, of vital faith, of fruitful lives, of having roots that are deep in the delight of the law of the Lord. But it also gives us the contrast Because that blessed person, that person who's happy and peaceful and whole, is out of step with the rest of the world. Who isn't walking lockstep in line with those people who do not love God and His Word, whose settled values and comfortable posture aren't in line with those who don't follow Jesus and value Him as the the ultimate Lord of all that he truly is. If you're going to be blessed, belonging to God, one of his people who has that fruitful, strong, vital faith that goes deep into God's word and makes it to the end, delighting in the law of the Lord, delighting in God's word, strengthened and nourished by his word. This is what um, J.I. Packer says about the authority of scripture, because that's what we're talking about. When we're talking about loving God's word, we're talking about allowing God's word to be the ultimate authority over our whole lives. And that's not just from a posture of kind of um, uh, uh, tolerating or apologetically accepting but actually delighting in bringing all of your life under the authority of God's Word to, as Hebrews 4 tells us, let God's Word judge the thoughts and attitudes of your heart. Not judge God's Word by the thoughts and attitudes of your heart. Don't let your heart determine things. I hate to break it to you if you're a Disney fan. Don't follow your heart. The heart is deceitful above all else. Heart is an that likes to run headlong away 
from God's Word. Rather, let God's Word judge the thoughts and attitudes of your heart, allow it to be the the supreme authority in all matters of faith and Christian living. That is radically different. That is totally out of step with the way our world thinks about life. There's been a huge shift in the last couple of centuries where people have seen kind of the way that the world is as a given reality, given by a creator, to see the world as something that you create from inside. Authority has gone from outside to inside, where your heart, your desires, your feelings are in charge. And Psalm 1 and all of Scripture reminds us that for a Christian person, that's not to be the case. We don't judge God's Word by the desires of our heart, we judge the desires of our heart by God's Word. Coming back to J.R. Packer, I started saying that. He says this about the author of God putting our minds straight, but of God capturing our hearts for a fully committed discipleship to the Lord Jesus. And so the Bible is to be approached with reverence and handled with care and with prayer. It's to be studied, not to satisfy God's Word, delighting in it and sending the roots of our lives and our eternity deep, into His promises, into His commands, into His revealed will that we have in His Word, where He's made Himself and He's made His Son crystal clear for us. And so that's what we want to look at tonight as we come back to Colossians. How might we love God's Word? How might that value be part of our heartbeat and what drives us along? Why... You know, we could go in a million different directions. This is what I want us to see tonight. We want to love God's Word by proclaiming Christ, by contending for one another, and through continuing in Christ. That's what we're going to see. Go back to verse 24 of chapter 1 of Colossians. And Paul says this, he says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you and fill up in my flesh what's still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the Word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Do you see how much Paul says all and every and full? He's fighting against the false teaching to the Colossian church that says in Jesus and God's Word, you don't have everything that you need, you need something more. Paul wants to make crystal clear to them, in contrast to the false teachers, no, in Jesus and God's Word, you have everything that you need. You have the full 
uh, you have the full mystery of God's will, His revealed will. And it's the kind of mystery that's not, oh, God works in mysterious ways, we can't possibly know. It's the mystery of, for decades and centuries and millennia, God's people saying, how will the God of the universe reconcile all things to Himself? It's that mystery. It's the mystery of, is this the Saviour King? It's the kind of mystery that in the Scriptures and in the person of God's Son, the Lord Jesus, we have the mystery revealed. It's not a guessing game anymore. You know what God is doing. It's like the mystery of what is in my hand. It's a mystery you can guess. If you were here this morning, you have a very... I should have changed the illustration (laughs) for those who are here this morning. But what is in my hand, you don't know, you can guess until I reveal that it's a cough drop. Oh, it's mine, I can't have it. I'm going to open it and stick it in my mouth. But that's the kind of mystery that Paul is talking about. It's not the mystery that is you have to somehow puzzle it out to work out how it is that God's going to renew all things and reconcile all things to himself. That Jesus is the Saviour King, that the world so desperately needs and that God so graciously provides for us. And so Paul says, let's look at the Scriptures in all its fullness, the Old and New Testament, to see its completion in Jesus and continue to dig down into it and to proclaim all of it so that you might see the fullness of God's plan in Jesus the wonderful riches of all the wisdom and knowledge and understanding that comes from Him. There's nothing more that you need than Jesus. There's nothing more that you need for life and godliness than what God has given in His... ...with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. And I reckon Paul's picture here of the way that he is filling up in his flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions is a wonderful reminder of why we need our roots to go deep into God's Word. Because just as Paul is suffering for the sake of the church, so the church will continue to suffer in this life, continue to struggle in the midst of a world that is not walking in step with God's revealed will. It's a super confusing sentence when Paul says, I am filling up in my flesh what's still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. From first sight, you can think, well, what is lacking in terms of Christ's afflictions? Does Jesus' cross get us almost to heaven? God almost reconciles all things to himself through the blood of his cross, but not quite. We, st- we need to finish the job. Some people think that. Now, what I think Paul is, the picture Paul is painting, uh, because we've already read chapter 1, we know that Jesus, through the blood shed on his cross, has done everything necessary. His suffering on the cross is complete, it is full to reconcile all things to God. There is nothing left to do. But the suffering of Jesus' body, His church, the suffering of His people will continue while we wait for Jesus to return. Paul is like, we're going to continue to suffer, we're going to continue to fill up in our flesh what is lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. 
because his, his body, the church, will continue to suffer. So identified with Jesus is Paul and Jesus' people that you can say that the suffering of the church is the suffering of Jesus. Just like we say the suffering of Jesus is our suffering. He suffered for us. It was our death he died. And it's why when Paul confronts, sorry, when Jesus confronts Paul on the road to Damascus, when he still saw, when Paul Christians and persecuting Christians, what does Jesus say? The, the crucified, risen and reigning Jesus, what does he say? He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? If you persecute the body of Christ, you persecute Christ. The body of Christ is suffering. Christ is suffering. It's a good reminder that suffering doesn't separate you from Jesus. When you're persecuted when you're left out, when you're overlooked, when you're marginalised for believing in Jesus and identifying with him, that doesn't cut you off from him, but that identifies you with him. That connects you to him and his suffering. And so Paul says, if you're going to face that suffering, if it's going to be hard, if it's going to be persecution, if it's going to be struggle, if there's going to be wolves and false teaching, if there's going to be storms in life, what does he want to do? He says, I'm going to labour and struggle to preach all God's word to you. That you might be built up and strengthened in your faith. In order that you might know Christ in you, the hope of glory. The shape of the Christian life is cross and then crown, it's suffering now and glory later. And the Colossian Christians were fighting the same kind of thing that you and I are fighting on the daily here, which is to say that all the joy of heaven is not our possession in reality just yet. We possess all the joy of heaven by faith in hope, certain hope, and one day we will possess it by sight, in reality. But for now, there will be struggle, there will be contending, there will be energy and strain, and strain as well as suffering and persecution. And in order to be the 75-year-old the Christian that has deep, strong, vital, fruitful faith, your roots need to be in the depths uh, of your character. It's an understatement. Uh, last night at the cathedral, there were 27 bishops present for the consecration of the Bishop of Northwest Australia. At Bruce's funeral, there was almost as many clergy. It was wild. Uh, Bruce had a really, really rough life. He was a rough character. And he, uh, he had tattooed on his knuckles, H-O-P-E. And I just think that was a wonderful picture of the fact that Bruce's life was a fight for hope. 
and one that he knew he had in the Lord Jesus. And it was through much tribulation that he entered the joy and the glory of his Saviour King. If suffering now, glory later, if we need deep roots, if we need the fullness of God's word in order that we might be mature in him, then we need to be proclaiming Christ. Verse 20, this is what one, one writer, Ray Ortland, has said, it's on the screen, he says, proclaim, it's what we do, we not beg, as if Jesus were poor, not suggest as if Jesus were doubtful, not propose as if Jesus were the premise of something larger, but proclaim as the only life that is truly life accessible to everyone on the terms of grace, received with the empty hands of faith, giving all and demanding pause at pains to say there's nothing clever about this there's nothing revolutionary there's nothing super amazing it doesn't look impressive it doesn't sound lock the door simply proclaiming christ the christ of history from the scriptures in order that people might be built up and strengthened in him that part of what we do each week when we gather. It's why we encourage people to be in growth groups, to keep digging into God's Word together. It's why we talk about reading the Bible on your own and in your household and with other people, one-to-one, listening to it on your commute, having it ringing in your ears as you run the bay, memorising it, revolutionary. In your booklet are some verses from Colossians that undergird these values. Memorise them. Commit to doing it. It'll take work. It'll strain, contending, effort. Wouldn't it be amazing if, like I was last night, you're lying awake because someone's screaming outside on the street and, you know, your brain's kind of dead and you're just wandering in your mind and when your mind wanders it wanders to God's word wouldn't that be great because you've spent time in it you've memorized it so that when you when you think in a tired and exhausted and I can't think of anything else but I could think of God's word when you think instinctively when temptation comes you think of God's word in order that your roots might keep going deep that you might be brought to maturity in him Paul goes on to talk about contending for the church. I wonder if that's something that we need to then do for one another in delighting and loving God's word, not just proclaiming Christ, but contending for one another. Because here's the danger. The danger is that you sit there going, oh, great, thanks, once again, Ben, it's just more book stuff. It's just more reading, it's more homework keep talking about homework, about life of God's people, the church. His goal is not that they win Bible memorization competitions, 
His goal is not that they look smart. His goal is not that they win arguments. His goal is not that they've read all the books. That's not a goal. What's his goal? Verse 2, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. There is maturity being expressed among God's people so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Notice how Paul kind of keeps weaving together the knowing one another. Those two things can't be separated. To, go, to grow in your knowledge and understanding of Jesus necessarily involves being united in love and encouraged in heart with Jesus' people. If you sit at home and memorise the Bible, that would be a great thing to do. If you do it in isolation, cut off from the fellowship of God's people, it will be deficient. Part of how we know the love of Jesus is by the love of his people. And on the flip side, part of how people around you will know the love of Jesus is by your love of them. That comes from your complete understanding, digging into and mining for and and seeking after all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that come from knowing Jesus. Our unity in the love of Christ our encouragement of heart. It's all part of that picture of a church whose heartbeat beats for God's And so we finish then, we love God's word by continuing in Christ. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith and being united in love with his people. Go after him. Get after his word. Make every effort to be rooted and built up in him, to be strengthened in your faith. When I was talking to Salt Youth Group about this passage last year, I talked to them about the difference of like tumbleweed and my dad's gum tree. The tumbleweed that just has no root system whatsoever and so every gust of wind will toss it to and fro. You're a tumbleweed Christian without your roots deep in God's word. The storms of life, the way of the wicked... It will lead you astray. You'll be blown back and forth from every fine-sounding argument. Instead, be the tree whose roots are deep down into God's word, who can't be easily convinced by every fine-sounding argument, who can't be knocked over by every wind of teaching and can't be led astray by every storm. And by doing that, delighting in God's word, 
my hope and prayer is that you will look back on 50, 60, 75 years as a Christian and overflow with thankfulness that God, by his word and spirit in the fellowship of his people, has strengthened you and sustained you and that delight in God's word has seen you through. I'm going to pray that that might be the case. Let's pray. I'm going to pray with some words from Psalm 19. Our our Father, your word is perfect, refreshing the soul. Your word is trustworthy, making wise the simple. Your word is right, giving joy to the heart. Your word is radiant, giving light to the eyes. Your word is pure, enduring forever. Your word is firm, and all your words are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. Our Father, may your word to us this year be more precious than all the gold in the world and may it be sweeter to our taste than honey. May it be the joy and delight of our heart that we might continue to grow up into Christ who is our living and our loving head, our Lord and Saviour. We pray that you would do this for us, for Jesus' sake.